Good morning, good morning everybody. How are we doing this morning? Welcome, welcome. I want to welcome all our online viewers and cable viewers. Can you guys just join me and give them a big hand this morning? We're glad you could be with us. We are uh, in the final installment of our series entitled At The Movies and I'm really excited to share uh, some important things with you today. I don't know, how many of you have seen Chronicles of Narnia? Anybody? Yeah, okay, good. I grew up on this story as a boy, uh, sitting beside uh, my parents in bed as we would read every one of the books as children, and it was extremely impactful. In fact, I would honestly say it is one of my favorite childhood series when I was growing up as a young man. What's amazing about this particular story is that it could actually stand all by itself. In fact, there's really little interpretation that has to be done today. In fact, all I really will do is accent what the story already unfolds within it, and I hope that you'll be impacted by it. But one of the things that makes it so impactful is the impact player behind it, and his name is C.S. Lewis. Uh, C.S. Lewis uh, was, of course, obviously the author, but, um, uh, you know, by the way, C.S., C.S. Lewis, what is up with people and the initials to their names? I don't know what that's all about, but when I studied not only the story, uh, I studied the man. His name is Clive Staples. Anybody with the name Clive Staples, you know why he's called C.S. Everybody know what I'm talking about right there? Anyway, he became friends with another well-known author, an author of The Lord of the Rings named J.R.R. Tolkien. Now, there's another one of these uh, initial names. I don't know what this is all about. I, I studied that as well. And what I found is that people who uh, are very scholarly, people who are very intelligent, uh, they use initials to describe their name. And so I want to make a declaration today that from this day forward, I'll be known as D.C. Fry, okay? Everybody go with that. <laughs> Don't ask me what my C stands for, okay, because I will not tell anybody in this room. All right, be quiet. Everybody be quiet. There's somebody out there. You guys are dying to know. All right, um, it's uh, charismatic. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I want you to know a little bit more about uh, the man behind this story. And I found out that C.S. Lewis was raised and uh, had a Christian upbringing. Uh, he was raised in church. In fact, he was confirmed and baptized in the Church of Ireland as a young, young man. But even though he was raised in church, he came to a certain point in his life at 15 years of, of age where he uh, kind of publicly declared himself an atheist. He decided to turn his back on his upbringing and on his roots and on his kind of uh, moorings and declares himself someone who says there is no God. And one of the reasons for that is after all his church experience, he decided in his own words that it's just too hard. This whole thing about being a person of faith, it's just too hard. It's way too difficult. And if it is too difficult, he concluded there really can't be a God. There's no way that God would make it so difficult to connect with him. He found no life. He found no joy. He found no purpose uh, in church. And it just, uh, it just caused him to turn away from God. Does anybody see this, this sounding familiar? You know, some of us may have been in that place in our life. Some of us may be there even today. From the age of 15 to 29, he went kind of on a backslidden tour. Uh, he walked away from this, this uh, upbringing that he had had. But at 29 years of age, he met the, met the man I told you about earlier. He met J.R.R. Tolkien, who was a strong 
uh, believer in Jesus Christ and very rooted in his faith. And this man was extremely instrumental and influential in C.S. Lewis, Clive Staples' life. And he began to study on his own and began to examine with an open mind and with an open heart to what really Christianity was all about. And, and one day he had something much more than an encounter with church. One day C.S. Lewis had an encounter with Jesus Christ. At the age of 31, he fully surrendered his life to Jesus. He found Jesus. He found a vibrant relationship with Jesus. In fact, he later wrote an autobiography that you can go and see on your own that he published, and it was called Surprised by Joy. Isn't that a cool name? The real turning point in his life, the real change in his life came when he realized how much joy there was in knowing Christ. But most people have a wrong view of God. Most people are not experiencing the joy that there really is in Christ. And some of that's because of what's going on in our minds. Something that's actually entered our minds sometimes through relationship. In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, I think this is in your worship guide, it says many are far away from the life of God because they've shut their minds against him so they cannot understand his ways. Have you shut your mind away or shut your mind off to God? Or have you opened it up? C.S. Lewis, he decided to open himself up to God and open his heart to God, and he was surprised by joy. Now, if you're here today or you're listening online today, maybe for the first time, and you're not interested in God, maybe you're disillusioned about God, discouraged about God, it could be, like it was in the case of C.S. Lewis, that you have received bad intel. You've received bad information. That's what happened to our author of this particular story in a real-life situation. And a lot of people are in that place, and a lot of people are in that boat. And as a result of the bad, a lot of people, they've gotten hurt by God, hurt by other people representing God, maybe hurt and disappointed by church and having bad church experience like he did. And I want to encourage you as, you, as you watch this movie, as it illustrates so perfectly, I want you to open up because you might find that this is something you really could enjoy. If you open your heart, if you open your mind, if you don't close it like the Bible says, maybe your current view of God could change because the bad view can be replaced by a God view. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to listen uh, to the truths that come through this particular movie, and I want you to see there's a really simple and powerful truth within Christianity told within the story. And ultimately, it starts in the Bible. Uh, God really created man, and you can see this in the Genesis account, for two reasons, and this is in your notes. The first reason is God wanted a family. God always wanted a family. He didn't need servants. He has angels for that. God wanted something better than that. He wanted real, uh, authentic, intimate relationship. And so he created human beings with the ability to choose or reject him. I'm sorry, but the most powerful muscle in your life is choice. And he's given you and I choice. And he wanted us to want him. He wanted us to choose him. The second thing that he did in the beginning was he created us to come to earth and to actually have dominion over the earth. In the first chapter of the book of Genesis, it talks about this. He wanted us to have dominion over the fish of the sea. And the Bible says the fowl of the air. And he created us to be in dominion over good. You know, bring good over, e over evil and, and be kings and priests, actually, the Bible tells us in the New Testament, over the enemy, over this land, over the darkness within it. And, and in order for that to happen, we needed to have that relationship with him. But here's the problem. Men went their own way. Maybe you went your own way. 
You took yourself out of God's story. Uh, or you took yourself out of God's plan. In the book of Judges, it says there, there was a time when men did what seemed to be right in their own eyes. They went their own way. Narnia illustrates in a perfect way what's, what was supposed to be God's love story. And what happened was man was, in a particular person you're going to see in this next clip, Edmund was seduced away from God's story. Edmund was one of the sons of Adam, and he was seduced away by the wicked witch who we could really parallel with the devil himself. And he turns away from God's story. Check out this clip. Son of Adam? Uh, Edmund. And how, Edmund, did you come to enter my dominion? I I'm not sure. I, I was just following my sister. Your sister? How many are you? Four. Lucy's the only one that's been here before. She said she met some fawn called 
Tumnus. Petrus isn't in believer. I didn't either. Edmund, you look so cold. Come and sit with me. How about something hot to drink? Yes, please. Your Majesty. Your drink, sire. How did you do that? I can make anything you like. Can you make me taller? <laughs> Anything you'd like to eat. Turkish delight? I would very much like to meet the rest of your family. Why? They're nothing special. Oh, I'm sure they're not nearly as delightful as you are. But you see, Edmund, I have no children of my own. And you are exactly the sort of boy who I could see one day becoming Prince of Narnia. Maybe even king. Really? Of course, you'd have to bring a family. Oh, uh, do you mean Peter would be king too? No, no, no. But a king needs servants. Uh, I guess I could bring. Beyond these woods. See those two hills? My house is right between them. You'd love it there, Edmund. It has whole rooms simply stuffed with Turkish delight. Couldn't I have some more now? No! Don't want to ruin your appetite. Besides, you and I are going to be seeing each other again very soon, aren't we? I hope so. Your Majesty. Until then, dear one. Hmm, I'm gonna miss you. I want you to see something in this story that is also true in our story. That the enemy, a white witch in this case, always will try to tempt us away from God's plan for our life through something that is simply not true. The enemy always uses lies. For example, there were no rooms filled with Turkish delight. I can promise you that. And it's just not true. It's a lie. And everything the enemy tells us isn't always true either. In fact, the Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, it says, Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. 
He'll always tell you uh, some Turkish delight is going to be so great. And, and he said, doesn't it taste so good? And, and initially, maybe it does, but ultimately, it doesn't taste so good at all. In fact, we've often found ourselves very similar to Edmund, falling for a lie at one point or another in our life. Maybe we're in some sort of lie right now. Some of you might be deceived or in some form of deception right now in our lives. I did that for a time in my life and probably phases in my life as well. I remember being convinced, not necessarily by Turkish delight, literally, Entenmann's Danish probably, but um, I was, you know, the Turkish delight of the world, as it were, the temptations of this world. I was convinced at one time that that was a better way for me. I thought I could handle, in essence, life on my own. I, could, I didn't let Jesus take the wheel of my life. I just, I can remember phrases, you know, going through my mind. You do you, Derek. You know, you do you. Go your own way. You know, do your own thing. You're going to be happiest that way. And it didn't take long to realize that when I began to go my own way, my life began to unravel really fast, really fast. And it might look good living a certain way on the outside, but the truth is it's really a lie. We're going to show you a clip in just a second, but Jesus described the devil one time this way. It's a bonus scripture, but John 8, it says, there's no truth in him when he lies. John 8, he speaks his native language. It's very comfortable, familiar for him. He is a liar and the father of lies. The problem is every time we fall prey to that lie, as this next clip will show you, we always fall into bondage or prison. We get hooked. Check this next clip out and see what happens to Edmund. Like it? Uh, yes. Your Majesty. I thought you might. 
Tell me, Edmund. Are your sisters deaf? No. And your brother? Is he... unintelligent? Well, I think so. But Mum says... How dare you come along? I tried. Edmund, I ask so little of you. They, they just don't listen to me. Couldn't even do that. Oh, I did bring them halfway. They're in the little house at the dam with the beavers. Well, I suppose you are not a total loss then, are you? Well, I, I was wondering, could, could I maybe have the small taggish delight now? Our guest is hungry. This way. You're not going to eat that. I guess you are. But with my legs. Mr. Thomas. What's left of you? You're Lucy Pevensey's brother. Oh, I'm Edmund. Yes. She has the same nose. Is your sister all right? Is she safe? I don't know. Yeah. 
fawn. Because I believe in a free Narnia. You're here because he turned you in for sweeties. Take him upstairs. And ready, my son. Edmund misses his family. What a perfect picture of what happens when tempted by sweeties, we fall into prison fall into bondage, ultimately uh, in chains. Edmund was in chains. Not only that, but his temptation didn't just affect him. It affected others as well. We may not end up in chains right away or in prison right away, but eventually that's what happens as a result of walking down this path of darkness. The Bible says in John chapter 10, verse 10, you've heard this before, the thief or the enemy, his purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. The Bible says, speaking of Jesus, my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. I heard an old preacher who had an adage. He said, sin will keep you longer than we want it to stay, cost us more than we want it to pay, and take us somewhere we never wanted to be in the first place. That's the path of sin. But sometimes because of our choices, uh, we find ourselves away from God's story. But what is so critical to this story, and I want you to get this, and I think this is in your notes, but here's what we see when we go our own way. We become the property of the devil. When we go our own way, we become the property of the devil. When we buy into his lies, our blood actually becomes his property. It's because we've stepped away from God's story and kind of going our own way. And when that happens, sometimes unbeknownst to us, we become uh, the legal rights or the legal rights of, of the enemy. He has legal rights upon us. And this creates a huge dilemma, a huge dilemma that really uh, we can't solve by ourselves. The, tru the truth is um, one of us uh, in, you know, here has, has gone through this path. All of us have gone through this path. We do this to ourselves all the time. You can't, when you see this problem, just be sorry for it. You can't just pay a few extra dollars you can't just uh, go to church now and, and maintain perfect attendance going forward. No, you can't even keep the Ten Commandments perfectly. The New Testament tells us that. You really can't fix this problem. When you go down this path of sin, your blood, your blood is the only thing that can satisfy or pay for or make recompense for that sin. When I become the property of the enemy, our blood, again, becomes his property. And so the only thing that can fix that is, is blood. But the thing is, our blood is blemished. Our blood is imperfect. You and I, when we sin, it kind of automatically knocks us out of the family, automatically knocks us out of the plan of God. But we can't pay for it with our blood because our blood is tainted by sin. So there's this catch. There's this problem. There's this situation. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages, or you could say the payment or the price tag of sin is death, but the free gift. Everybody say free gift. 
of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. What does this mean? It means Jesus in heaven saw, God the Father saw this dilemma, and he didn't just come down here to bring great teachings or build a powerful church organization or solicit followers or things like that. No, he came down actually to reclaim his property. To reclaim his possession, his most prized possession. And so he came down to actually to pay our bill. And I tell people this a lot, and sometimes it doesn't stick the right way, but hell is not a place that God created for us. It was created for the devil and his angels. Hell is a place that, that God doesn't send people to because he's mad at us. Hell is a place where we settle accounts. Hell is a place where we can decide to pay our own bill. Or we can let someone else pay our bill we all know we have a bill deep down we know that we all know that 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 somewhere in our life we've crossed lines we've made mistakes we've fallen short but let's not take eternity to pay for it God didn't want that John three seventeen, it tells us he didn't condemn the world he didn't come into the world to do that but that the world through him might be saved he came into the world to offer us an exit strategy an exit plan and so you might have heard something like this in church. You might have heard this story. But have you really realized what he did? The revelation about what he did is actually what changes you. It's actually what brings salvation into your life. When I watched this story, and I'm going to play this next clip for you, the first time, and I connected it to my own personal life. I'll be honest with you. Even in this animated film, I broke with tears. Because I realized what Aslan did for Edmund, Jesus did for me. Check this out. a traitor in your midst, Aslan. His offense was not against you. Have you forgotten the laws upon which Narnia was built? Do not cite the deep magic to me, witch. I was there when it was written. Then you'll remember well that every traitor belongs to me. His blood is my property. Aslan knows that unless I have blood as the law demands, all of Narnia will be overturned and perish in fire and water. That boy will die on the stone table. As is tradition. You dare not refuse me. Enough. I shall talk with you alone.
She has renounced her claim on the son of Adam's blood. How do I know your promise will be kept? Calvary over 2,000 years ago when all of hell viewed the defeat and the murder of our Savior. My first thought when I watched this was, you know, how 
could Aslan have done that because I really didn't like the Edmund character very much. And that's actually the point that C.S. Lewis was trying to make. That's the beauty of this story, is that Aslan was there to save Edmund, and God came into this world in the form of his son to save us. We all have an Edmund in us. None of us deserve to be saved. Edmund didn't deserve to be saved, and yet, and yet he was by Aslan. Only a perfect sacrifice can be a substitute for the sinful condition of another. In 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, the Bible says, my, my dear children, my little children, these things I write unto you that ye sin not, but if ye sin, you have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And the Bible says he is the propitiation. That word means substitute. He stood in your place when justice demanded payment and blood he stood in your place. I want you to close your eyes as I read something to you from the book of Isaiah. And I'm, ha I'm actually asking that God would actually make this, this scripture come alive to you. That you would, even if you know this truth, that you would know it, not intellectually, but you would know it experientially. The Bible says, but it was our sins that did that to him, what we just watched. That ripped and tore and crushed him, our sins. He took the punishment and that and made us whole. Through his bruises we get healed. We all like sheep have wandered off and gotten lost. Like Edmund in the woods. We've all done our own thing, gone our own way. And God has piled all our sins and everything we've done wrong on him. He was beaten, he was tortured, but he didn't say a word. Like a lamb taken to be slaughtered and like sheep being sheared. He took it all in silence. Just justice miscarried that day and he was led off. And did anyone really know what was happening? He died without a thought for his own welfare, welfare, beaten, bloody for the sins of my people. They buried him with the wicked, threw him in a grave with a rich man, even though he'd never heard a soul or said one word that wasn't true. Still, it was God that had in mind this all along to crush him with pain. The plan was that he would give himself as an offering for sin so that he'd see life come from life, life and even more life. And God's plan will deeply prosper through him. When I think about this, I can't imagine how much he loved me. I'm amazed by it, but I'm not sure, and I'm going to say something strong here, I'm not sure I could love anyone that much. When I think about my four children, I, I don't think I could let Devin or Mallory or Madison or Morgan, you know, die for someone. I don't think I could give them for someone, especially for a little Edmund. It's not going to happen. I might consider giving my own life for a nice person or a good person. You might know somebody that, and maybe some stories have been told where that has been done. But behind the scenes of this story, I believe this was the turning point in C.S. Lewis's life. This is where the joy came in. I remember when my son one day was, was, was hurt in an accident, and he split his skull open and had to go to the hospital. And I remember, I remember going into the doctor's room, and, and, and they were getting ready to put a very large needle into his head, like really long. And my wife was bowed up and angry and upset, and she wanted to go into the room, and they said she couldn't, and, 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 she, and, I, and I told the doctor, she's going to have to go in, or there's going to be a problem. And we both went in there, and they put my son in a straitjacket on a table. I remember that. And I remember he was, thought it was a game at first, because he was so little, and he didn't understand. And, and, and as they began to strap him in real tight, he started to look at me. Like, Dad, are you going to let this happen? You're going to let this happen? 
And I remember them sticking that needle into his head. And he just screamed. He screamed. I lost it. I was helpless to save him, and I couldn't take away his pain. And in that day, I got a small picture of what it felt like for God to give his son and the son to give his life. You know, Jesus cried out when he was beaten and whipped and spit upon for people who didn't get it, who didn't experience it. He said, my God, my God, Dad, Dad, are you going to let this happen? Are you going to let this happen? And I think God wanted to swoop down so bad. I really do. But, but right before he got ready to do that, he thought of you and me. That's, that's not religion. That's love. That's amazing love. So that every Edmund could be back in the family. It gets better because the devil didn't know or anticipate the outcome. He had no idea that, that Jesus would rise again. But the Bible says on the third day, praise God, that he rose again. And the Bible tells us that, you know, in so many words, that that was his original plan all along. That Satan didn't understand, just like the wicked witch didn't understand either, that the cross paid for your mistakes. But the resurrection now gives you the power to live this life victoriously as an overcomer to them that believe. Can I have an amen? I want you to watch this next clip, and I want you to realize the victory that you can have in Jesus Christ. Amen. What have they done? interpreted the deep magic differently. That when a willing victim who has committed no treachery is killed in a traitor's stead, the stone table will crack, and even death itself would turn backwards. We sent the news that you were dead. Peter and Edmund will have gone to war. We have to help them. We will, dear one, but not alone. Climb on my back. We have far to go and little time to get there. You may want to cover your ears.
It is finished. Right now, it's decision time. I would ask that you just close your eyes and bow your heads. You might be here today, and you might be asking a question after what you've heard, what you've seen, maybe what you've experienced for the first time, I hope. What do I need to do to receive this? What do I need to do to receive this, what Jesus did for me? The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, it says, to those who've received him, to those who would believe on his name, in other words, be invited back into his family, he would give the right to be called a child of God. That's God's desire for those that are far from God today, those that are distant from God. Maybe you've been in church your whole life, but you really never got it. And today, you finally get it. This is what I would say to you, sir, ma'am, boy, or girl, whoever's listening. What you have to do is, receive his payment you don't pay for it you receive it by grace through faith that's what c.s lewis did many years ago and that's what i did myself and that's what many people have done the question is have you done that i want you to invite jesus christ into your life today and if you've never done that or maybe you understood it intellectually but never had a revelation of what jesus did for you I want you to raise your hand good and high and say, that's me. Would you pray for me, Pastor, right where I am? I don't want to miss that opportunity today. God bless you. Yes, God bless you. Thank you. Thank you. That's awesome. That's awesome. Thank you. Several hands in this room. Thank you. Don't miss it. You can put your hand down. That's great. I want you to pray this prayer with me. And know this, that this prayer will save you. It's believing in your heart. It's, it's making that connection about who Christ is and what he did for you. Say this. Say, Jesus, I receive the payment that you made for me. I thank you so much that you came into this world to save the Edmund in me. I didn't deserve it, but you gave it willingly because you love me so much. And I choose this day to love you back the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen and amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap. Come on, Pastor Mark. God bless you.